Hello, and welcome to Teacher Tales, a podcast from the spirit of teaching. This is your host, Linda Markley, and I invite you to join me and my guests as we get curious, explore, discover, and learn more about what is really at the heart of teaching. In each episode, we will hear the story of a teacher, what called them to teach, what are their greatest joys and challenges in teaching, what inspires them, and what are their hopes, dreams, and vision for the education of children. We will learn more about the greatest lessons they have taught and also the greatest lessons they have learned. No checklists, no standards, no reports, no paperwork, and no data. Just stories from their hearts to our hearts on a journey to celebrate what really matters in the true spirit of teaching. So hello, today my guest is Lisa. Lisa, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, hello. I'm so happy and honored to be a guest on this podcast today. I have a great affinity for stories and movies. I also love the beach and I love being outside and going for a bike ride. I enjoy yoga and other things. But, and this is what it's cracking me up as I was thinking about it. Whenever you're in a group, if there's more than one teacher in that group, inevitably the teachers will start talking shop and, and bore everybody else in the room. And yet, so this is, it, it's, it's like a, um, a sanctioned time where it's, it's okay to talk about teaching and talk shop and people will be interested in, in listening to what we have to say. And so I'm like, wow, what a wonderful idea. and What a great forum. So thank you. And you have ears that will understand and hearts that will connect too. Because a lot of times when I've been in social situations, you know, and they'll say, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a teacher. And they're like, oh, you know, and, and then their teacher stories start. And I'm like, well, I don't, don't necessarily want to hear those, you know, but. <laughs> <laughs> so. yeah, you know, um, that when, when you say you're a teacher in public and, and that's something I always think about too, like to try not to say like, to, to not be so identified with your occupation, you know, that whole, you know, what do you do? Uh, it's not, you know, who are you or, but as a teacher, it is part of your heart and soul. Um, I always smile when you say teacher and people who aren't teachers say, oh, and their eyes get big. And if you say that you teach teenagers, they're like, oh, there's not enough money in the world to work with teenagers how do you do it and I'll be like are you kidding me the teenagers are the best part of the job exactly but I think you know you bring up a really good point that and this is part of the reason I'm doing the podcast is number one to connect with teachers and to let teachers hear other stories and do that whole Venn diagram thing where they're like oh my gosh yes I relate to that I can see that but also maybe to open up the hearts of people that aren't teachers that need to understand what it's like being a teacher and to hear these teacher stories and how important they are to moving forward and doing what's best for children. That's a really good point because everyone has an experience of being in school, but not everyone has the experience of being the teacher. 
And it's always fascinating to me, whether I have a student intern or someone who's shadowing me or they walk away with a different perspective uh, and a, a different respect of, of what's being done because uh -huh. there's so many things that are happening and so many people that you're caring for at the same time. Uh -huh. And you know, it's always, it's an honor and a privilege that you're trusted to do this all. But, um, but I, I think it's very misunderstood as to what we do. Uh, somebody once told me all I had to do was make crossword puzzles because he had an English teacher that just had them do crossword puzzles. And I was like, that's not what I do. And, <laughs> but that was his experience. That was his, his um, slice of the pie, so to speak. So why did you become a teacher? I, I really fell into it. My plan was to become a lawyer. I went initially, I got a degree for paralegal studies and then to go to law school, I majored in English with a specialization in literature and rhetoric. I was excited about going to law school and I was, I was working through the pre-law program, but I also really fell in love and I had a, um, I, I, I was lucky. I had some really great teachers. I had history teachers who would tell stories. Senior year, I took a humanities English class um, and I, I just fell in love with it. We read so many books and we read them deeply and we studied film and, and it was this world connection. I really, if I had known I, I was going to pick a history or a poli political science major, and instead I thought, well, this, this particular, it was a very classic program, will help me with my communication skills. Let me go this route. I ended up, I was gonna work for a little bit after I got my bachelor's degree. And then things happened where I didn't become a lawyer. I didn't go to law school when I thought I would. And I really fell into teaching. I was taking a class, uh, it was a creative writing class at the local community college. And the person next to me said, you know, we've got a teacher at our school who is having a difficult pregnancy. And if you're interested, you should apply. And I thought there is no way I will get the job. You know, I didn't have any teaching background. I didn't have any student teaching experience, but I went, I didn't get the job initially, but then it turned out that it didn't work out with the person they hired. I got a call to start after the Christmas holidays and I walked into it and it was, it's fascinating for me to think about now because I hadn't know like, I, like as I was opening the door, I was like, oh, I will have them write me a letter and tell me what they've done. And like, I had no clue. And I walked in, I didn't even know how to take attendance. And I learned that if you just paused a moment, sometimes they would, I, I'm looking at these 10th graders. I heard one kid say, she doesn't know how to take attendance. And I thought, uh-oh, the jig is up. And another kid said, that's because she's an elementary school teacher. And then they showed me the bubble sheet. And I was like, oh, okay. And, and I mean, we're good. Like, I mean, it was kind of crazy because the students had not had a real teacher for like three months. Uh, they had a series of subs and so it was trial by fire. And I, I had very good support though. Um, other teachers in the English department helped me with the planning and showed me what, and so then I enrolled in at UCF. I needed to get at least 15 credits 
to um, support my, at the time, temporary certificate. And I decided that I would get my master's degree. And that's what I did. I got a master's degree in English education. And um, I've gotten to work at many different levels. I've worked uh, middle school and high school and um, even at the district level. So I've had a, a varied career. And right now I'm working with seventh and 12th graders. So I've got the the bookends <laughs> the secondary experience yeah that that must be a real roller coaster ride every day you know it's like time traveling <laughs> it really is because i mean you know you just go back to piaget and abstract and and you know where their brains are and and it's fun because each each i've worked with every grade level from seven through twelve and each one has elements of fun in its own way. You know, there are things that I get to do with 11th and 12th graders where we really get into some, some deep issues and deep thinking. Whereas with the younger students, it's the, the discovery and the excitement and, and we're just starting to get beneath the surface where they're reading beyond the words. And so, yeah, there's, there's, there's something to enjoy at all grade levels. And, and the beanie babies for the seventh graders. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Although unfortunately with quarantine, we can't have the comfort animals, but yeah, um, that was just something that I did for fun. I said, Oh, if you're having a bad day, you can sit with one of these stuffed animals. Um, you can't play with it during class. It just has to sit on your desk. You know, I had somebody say, well, I, I think it's stupid. It seems immature. And I'm like, well, you know, seventh graders, they're, they're, they're mostly 12 years old. You know, many of them are turning 13 during that time. I'm like, they're still kids. Mm -hmm. And it, the phenomena that happened with it, um, when I started teaching this younger group again, was they started to bring their animals in. Like, I guess the animals they felt they outgrew at home, they would bring in to add to the comfort animal collection. And I would tell them, I'd be like, you know, the life of a comfort animal is a difficult life. Um, you know, are you sure you wish to donate this, this comfort animal to me? And they, they would shake their heads and feel like they've contributed to the classroom community. And mm -hmm. so... So like I said, the, um, the comfort animals are all taking a break right now, but, um, but it would be sweet um, to see, like, I would just, there were certain classes I'd look out and, you know, three quarters of the class, they'd all have a little animal sitting at the corner of their desk, you know? Absolutely. Whatever helps. It, it, yeah. it's, it really is the little things and you never know um, what it's going to mean. It might not mean anything to one person and it might mean the world. What brings you most joy in teaching? Uh, well, working with the students. Um, I think one of the lovely things about being in the classroom is at some point in the day, usually more than once, there's going to be a hearty laugh. Um, it might be subject related. It might be because a mistake has happened and we have to figure out how to, how to fix it. Many, many different reasons. An environment that is is comfortable, that is safe, where it's okay to make mistakes, where it's okay to be a little goofy. I tell my students, it's not going to be a laugh a minute, but if we can have fun and look for those elements of, of connecting, 
it'll help get you through the times when we're doing something you don't enjoy quite so much. You know, when you've got to roll up your sleeves and, and write an essay and, and figure out the best organization to it and such, then in those cases, you want to know, well, why is this important? What is the relevance? And, and that'll help carry you through. And different people enjoy different things. So while one person might love to do an improv skit, another person that might be their worst nightmare, it's going to help both at different levels, but then there'll be something that'll come around later on that the other person will enjoy and the other person might not be that interested in doing. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, it's good, it's good to stretch when, when it comes to language arts, and I'm sure many other subject areas, we're talking about the main communication skills. And there are always things that we're naturally good at, and then the things that we can get better at. And we, we, we use what we're good at to get better at what we need to get better at. And it just, sometimes I've had students, and I'll, I'll ask them, do you feel like you do the same thing over and over again in, in English class? And they'll be like, oh yeah, because, you know, and I, I remind them that it is a spiral curriculum and that there is greater depth and, you know, the differences between that, it's not just, uh, you know, plot theme character or setting that we're going to greater depths and that we're adding more to to expand um, and so i love that i love to share and i guess and this goes back to my humanities english class when i realized all of the world connections that go into literature and storytelling i love getting to share that with my students as well mm -hmm. Well, I know that I've seen a variety of different activities in your classroom and you do let the kids express themselves in different ways. And it's not just a, a traditional stagnant, you know, the same thing over and over again. And let's read from the book or let's just answer these questions. And you've had some real creative activities come through, you know, where the kids get to act out you know, certain stories or plays. And um, maybe that's a little bit of your stand-up comedian training that you've had. <laughs> Actually, I had a student years ago who, who was like, my uncle's an agent. We've got to get you. And this was before I dabbled in that. But yeah, there is, I mean, when you think about, um, and, and that still connects when you are, um, extemporaneously telling a story or if you're giving a presentation um, those are all skills that come in but sometimes even something like um, one activity that I've, I've done with students is where they create a tableau um, they're assigned a character from the story we're reading and I, I'll call them funky family photos where I'll say okay now we're gonna have the Montagues Montagues on the set I want you all to show me you've got just a couple of minutes to figure out how you're going to pose to show me how you are connected and to show me how you relate to each other how are you going to use your physical body and and back in the day i had a polaroid camera so i would use the polaroid camera and then give them the photo and they would have to write then and explain why uh, the different characters were where they were and how they were standing and how they related to each other and and there's such depth to that you know it's it's all about getting to those deeper levels of meaning mm -hmm. and uh, not everybody learns just by reading the book and answering the questions mm -hmm. but what a great approach too I mean that's just so genius to 
in an English class to take that approach because that's really what you're trying to get them to do is to write creatively and to analyze any kind of writing and like what is your real purpose instead of it being formulaic and everything. I am starting to applaud because the purpose is the most important thing and there have been times I'll be coming home from work thinking that did not go as planned or uh, or when I'm initially thinking of my lesson plans, I have to get back to what is the purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think the number one thing I always have to put forth is while I my subject area is English language arts, I teach students and students are the most important element in the equation. And so there are so many things that we've done in a traditional way that we do because, oh, we're you know, teaching responsibility or we're teaching. Um, and, and those things are important, but I was thinking back when I was still a very young teacher, my first, um, first conferences I ever attended was a middle school conference. And I don't remember who the speaker was, but I'll never forget the story. He was talking about what's really important and what do we focus on in our schools with our students. And he told the story of a boy who was excessively tardy to to school in the morning. And, you know, this idea that, you know, this is important that you show up on time. Um, You have to show responsibility. And, you know, he was then put into the in-school suspension. He was then also suspended from school. Nobody found out that the reason why he was late to school every day is because his mother had to leave much earlier for work. And it was his job then to get his younger sister, um, get her breakfast and get her ready to school. That story has always stuck with me because this idea that, oh, you know, you've got, and and of course in the real world, that that could be a problem in a job if you're not on time. You know, there's the hard deadlines and the soft deadlines. And so the students need to understand and be aware, but was he showing more responsibility by taking care of his younger sister and making sure that she was cared for? Could that have been worked out differently if somebody had, and, and, and hopefully now maybe that's not as much of an issue because I know that we're doing better with that social emotional, you know, that maybe um, a social worker or a counselor would follow up and find out much sooner before he was actually getting in trouble or, you know, somebody might take the time to talk to the mom mm-hmm. and, and find out and, and get the help that's needed. But, um, but yeah, this, 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 we're, we're teaching students and, and that I don't know if as a teacher you ever find out the true impact. No, sometimes not till years later, you know, and, or you find out through someone else that they've been talking about the impact you've had on their life. And yeah, that's. I am. And and it's all types of students. Um, Sometimes those, those students who were, were, um, the most um, troublesome in class, for lack of a better word, where I had to give warnings and detentions and phone calls home, 
And I, I think another thing to always keep in mind is never take things personally because it's not about you, the teacher. In rare instances, it might be, but that would take some self-reflection. But a lot of times it has nothing to do. And as long as you're consistent and you show care and you give the second chances, but you also are firm and follow through. I've had so many students come back years later to either apologize or say thank you. And I didn't think I was doing anything all that big. One time, and this, um, I haven't driven through a Wendy's drive through in a very long time, but one time I was going through, they had these really cool kind of pita salads. As I placed the order, the, the worker was like, she said my name. She's like, is that you? It's, it's, it's Izzy and I'm at the University of Florida and I'm studying to become a doctor and from my voice and she said, and then, and this is what here, I, I believe she was in her senior year of college when she shared with me that we still talk about things that happened in your class. And my heart just, I was like, wow, that was eighth grade English. Wow. And so you just, you don't know. And, I, and that's why that, that um, place of comfort and care, and I, it's not about being friends with students or crossing boundaries. I think it's just so important. I don't care if the student is 12 or 18. They need to know that this is an adult that can be trusted mm -hmm. and is consistent and is modeling the behavior that is going to help them later on and and you never know and actually another student pops into my mind and this one was this was a challenging year with her this was many years ago and i i, I hope many good things have happened to her since but at the time i was teaching eighth grade every day it was it was the class right near lunch and every day i would share with the students what we were doing get them started. And then I would always notice that she wasn't doing what she was supposed to be doing. So I would come over and very gently, I learned to be very gentle in my approach whenever possible, um, because sometimes I could be big and loud, not on purpose. And, and so I found that being more, more gentle and calm was a better way. And I would scooch down by her desk and, and encourage her to do the assignment, try to help her get ideas. And every single day, she would start to loudly curse at me. The class themselves, that they were wonderful. They would just continue doing what they were doing. I would go to my desk. I would write the referral. I would walk her to the door. I would call the dean's office to say she was on her way. And the, the rest of the class, we would just, you know, go on with doing what we needed to do. And it was, it was just a right. And then I found out when we had a, a um, parent conference um with the teachers that it was her male teachers and me that she had the other female teachers there was no difficulty she did what she needed to do she wasn't very enthusiastic but so i the important part of this is i, I never gave up on her i every day i would still encourage her and one time i shared with her a book and it was it was freedom's children which was a collection of essays um, about the civil rights movement as told through people who were either children or teenagers while it was happening. And so I shared that book with her and she started to read it. 
And that year was, um, I needed to go out on surgery at, toward the end of the year for medical. I knew that the teacher taking over for me was a, a, a male. And I thought, let me give the mom a heads up because you know we had sort of come to an equilibrium. Things weren't always perfect, but they were better. And when I called, the mom said, oh, my daughter will be so upset. You are her favorite teacher. And I almost fell off my chair because I thought, how can I be her favorite teacher? She, she's cursing me out every single day, but I would remind myself, don't take this personally. It's not about you. And I really, I, I, there was a part of me that didn't really believe it, but sure enough, she was one of the kids who came in with a, a teddy bear gift and a card in which she shared how much the class had meant to her and, and how important I was to her. And in the following year, she did have to repeat eighth grade. She would come to me in between class change. And sometimes she'd show me the book. I let her keep it because she loved it so much. And I'd wave and I'd say, I'm not going to write you a pass to your next class. And we'd be smiling. She'd be like, I know. And then she'd run to her class. And, and by the time she was in ninth grade, she had made such a great turnaround. She got a special award. And, and I really, I, I, I don't know what's happened to her since. But I really do. And that was that reminder that to never give up because you, you don't know. And, and even last year, at the end of the year, after the, um, the uh, remote learning, I heard from one of my students who had been in my last hour class and I had asked them to just um, reflect and process a bit. And, and she had told me that at the beginning of the year, she wasn't too sure about, you know, how she was going to like the class or me as a teacher because I was just very bubbly and, you know, she, she wasn't sure about that at the end of the day. Um, and she let me know that her opinion of me very quickly changed and, and that I was the only person, only adult person who would ask her how she was doing as she was walking in and, and take that extra moment to listen. I always like to think that other teachers are, are working with other students and that sometimes it has to do with, you know, the timing, you know, those students who come to class a little early, earlier, you have a little more time, but to be able to connect with all of your students, the community that is created in the classroom, um, sometimes, and I, I think you've, I know you've experienced it and you've had this in your own classroom, you know, sometimes a class is just a class. And sometimes community becomes so strong and there's a, a culture and a care. Times when I have the students write their end of the year essays, they have to tell me what they learned and they have to think of two or three or four things and, and really give me proof. And so it can be things that I meant for them to learn, you know, if they want to focus on the theme for the year and, and how it connected with the other stories we read. And then I give them several different samples of how they can organize it. But I also tell them that, you know, if there is something that I didn't have in the lesson plan, but that was an important life lesson, they, that, was, that was a possibility for them to write. And I've had a few essays that have made me ugly cry because they hit my heart so deeply. One young man focused his whole essay on how he never realized how a class could be like a family. And then he used different things that happened during the course of the class to back that up. And, and, and then he also included some of the things that, you know, I meant for him to learn, but it was so moving 
to, to read that he felt such a connection and a care. You know, I, I don't care uh, if you don't have the, the relationship and if the students don't understand why something is important and how it connects, you're never going to have the rigor. I think that that's really a critical point about teachers and the whole hashtag now Maslow before blooms. Yes. And I think that's the biggest struggle for teachers. Well, definitely when the pandemic hit, but now starting back this year in these very difficult circumstances, again, that what I hear from teachers is that gap or that void of the connections. The connections, I mean, could be literally without connecting on the internet, and that's frustrating, but the connections with the kids and being able to build the relationships to a more meaningful uh, purpose and result or lesson or impact, whatever we want to call it, in the end it's very hard to do that in these circumstances uh, to keep those connections going all the time or even just to make the connection. That, that is so, so true. And, and things are so different from when we both started teaching to now as far as the concerns. And, and there have always been things that are happening. But at this time, it's just so, so heightened. Um, you know, we have um, emergency drills in which we have to be prepared in case somebody enters the camp campus who shouldn't yeah. be on the campus. That's where it becomes so much more important to have that feeling of safety and, and comfort. Yeah, it amazes me. I'm just thinking for a moment, I've had people who we were talking about when we hear back from people, there have been people that, you know, they're, they're now in their their 30s and 40s and they'll get in touch with me and and again let me know about that care and that connection and it just reminds me of how important and how much more important it is to do that with the students now and even um, in planning for the start of this school year there were some moments where you know you've got that checklist and you've got to do this 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 uh -huh. this, this, this and there was the moment where a co-worker said but we need to see how they're doing and, and just talk to them. And, um, and in this particular case, it was with our homerooms. We have our homerooms um, as they move up year to year. So these were students that we knew and we were like, oh yeah, that, that's, that's an excellent point. We do need to um, uh, do that and have the connection. And I think it's okay to process and reflect with the students and model that so that they know why we're doing something and why it's important. There have been a lot of times where I've had discussions and it's, it can be difficult because, you know, I'm, I'm wanting the students to see beyond what we're doing or, and then later in the day, I'll have somebody come in and say, oh, I heard we weren't doing anything today. And I'm like, oh, oh no, 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 no. We, we are doing a lot <laughs> and to understand. So whether it's um, community building, or deep analysis and then even to connect it to you know these state assessments and and the college testing so that they see that bigger picture that it's not just you know one day you're taking a test that everything we're doing 
actually, it's funny, I was thinking about, uh, just popped into my head. And this is a number of years ago, and this is why I changed my practice. I was having the students think about what they learned at the end of the year, because again, reflection is so important. And I was having them just brainstorm at their seats. They were creating their, their pre-planning. And I walked over to a young lady, a ninth grader, and she was not writing anything. And so I said, oh, let, you know, let's talk. You know, I'm asking you to write down what you've learned in this class this year. And she said, oh, I, I, I haven't learned anything. And I said, and this goes back to that um, uh, spiral curriculum. And, and so we started to, to break it down and talk about it. The next thing you knew, as we were just chatting for a few moments, she ended up with a page filled with things, but because she hadn't processed, and this is why I think I, I make sure I go back and connect why are things important and why we're doing certain things, because I don't want them to be in a situation where they're like, oh, this was fun, we didn't do anything, but I had fun. You can have fun and be interested and still do all of those things that you need to get done. Um, but you can't do any of them if we haven't looked at the relationship between the student and the teacher first. What you said about family, too, I think that's a, a huge part of what goes on in school. And it's pushed to the side now. The fact that kids spend, you spend you know, seven hours of your day, eight hours of your day, and so do they with teachers. That's a huge relationship building opportunity and time spent. If you're talking about time on task, I mean, they have more time on task with teachers and with those relationships and interactions. And what we do every day is, like you said, model things for them and we have the comfort animals for them and we hear their troubles not always in the words that they know how to express them and we help them process and we help them reflect some of these things are going on at home maybe and some things are not so that's a critical role that teachers play in meeting those you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs for children every single day. And it becomes less about that test, about the content of the curriculum. And it's more about the content in the teacher's heart and the student's heart and how we connect those. Definitely. And, it, you know, and not every student is going to walk away feeling like, I, I mean, I think the student who talked about feeling like he was part of a family. And, and like I said, he wrote it. So he wrote his essay so well, I cried, but I don't know if that, you know, not every student's going to walk away with that feeling, but to put the emphasis on community and that we're not in this by ourselves and that the teacher's going to make mistakes and that's okay. And that that's something like if I misspell a word on the, uh, board or, or, you know, it happens sometimes because we're doing things fast. We don't always take a look. I'll let the students know if, if they let me know in a polite way and they help me edit, which is what we do in real life, mm -hmm. I will give them a thank you man, and, and be appreciative. Now I'll also let them know if it's like, oh, you made a mistake and you're an English teacher. You can't spell I'm like, that's not what we do here. We support each other and we help each other be the 
best we can be. And so for me, the comfort animals work with my personality and with the younger kids, although there have been occasional older kids who have taken a fancy to a comfort animal. Um, but, um, but that might not work for every teacher, but they have, you know, something that helps create that community within the classroom so that each student feels like they're an important part. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're long past the place of students are empty vessels that we're going to pour knowledge into. Uh-huh. Um, it's not the sage on the stage, but the guide on the side. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if I, I never want to create a system where they're going to need me. Like I'll joke with the older students. I'll be like, I don't want you to be in a situation where I have to come to college with you. Cause that'll be really awkward having to say, Oh, that's my high school English teacher. She helps me out. And, and sometimes they laugh and sometimes they just roll their eyes and, um, and that's okay. You know, wherever you are in the moment that that relationship piece for so many years, I intuitively knew how important it was. And now I feel validated with the research. And and there have been at least 46 studies that have shown that the teacher-student relationship is so important that it helps increase student engagement at a deeper level. It helps with attendance. It helps improve grades. And there are even fewer disruptive behaviors and fewer suspensions when that teacher-student relationship is strong. And that to me is inspiring and, you know, um, kind of like when I started teaching and I hadn't planned to teach, but I got breadcrumbs along the way to find my way along the journey. Um, I think that is very true of my whole teaching experience and that I've learned as much from my students as they've learned from me, I have no doubt. We're growing little human beings, aren't we? We, we and are. They're, and they're growing us too. I mean, every year is a different set of kids, different circumstances, different everything. It's every step is, is a learning opportunity for everybody. I don't know how many jobs you can say that that manifests that way or gives people that sort of opportunity that every day is something new and different and invigorating because it's an opportunity to learn and grow. Exactly. And, and, and for students to know that all of life is an experiment, that there, you know, that there's so many things that you, you can make very good plans and things might turn, not turn out anything at all like your plans or they might look somewhat like you planned but then other things fall apart and and to kind of just be able to realize that you're a learner whether or not you're a student in school you're always a student of life and i i hope that my students see me as somebody who has a passion for learning and who is always considered herself a learner passion I pass on. You rearrange those letters. Oh, I love that. I pass yeah, on. I pass on. That's what you're passing on is a love of learning. So that spark. So, and you have done that for so many students. It's, so, been, it's been my honor and privilege when I think about my students and where they are and what they've been through and who they are as people. I'm, I'm, my heart, my, my, my cup overfloweth 
uh, my heart is full when I think about so many of these students who have, have let me know how they're doing and it, it means the world to me. Yep. And it's what is the reason why so many teachers are in the classroom right now in a pandemic. Yes. Looking at and focusing on the kids. That's huge. That's a huge statement about the heart of teachers. As yeah. Human beings. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's so important to remember, you know, what happens in the classroom day to day, kind of going back to you might have somebody who's acting out. And to remember not to take it personally, it's just just students, like kids doing kids, they're, they're doing their job. And I can't help but think about if you remember the old Wiley Coyote and um, uh, Sheepdog, where we had um, Ralph and Sam, and they would talk to each other. They'd be like, how are the kids? And they'd be walking up to work, they'd punch in their time clock. And then the whole time, Wiley Coyote is stealing the sheep, and every single time, the sheepdog catches him, and then the whistle blows, and they punch the time clock, and they walk out, and they have this good day. And like, I just, I think about that, because so many times then I'll see those kids outside of school. There's no animosity. There's no, and, and I'll, I'll always think back, there was this one boy, he just, he just shook his head one day. He said, you always catch us. And I'm like, I just, I just smiled and shook my head. And I was like, that's because I care. I'm paying attention. Yep. That's what we do. So I'm ending these, you know, podcasts with a kind of fill in the blank at the end, a little, you know, not multiple choice, a little, you know, in the face of standardized testing, (laughs) you can personalize your answers and whatever you say is perfect. This is like the the end of um, the actor's studio. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So, so you're on. (laughs) Okay. All right. Brain, don't tell me now. So teaching is. The first thing that pops into my head is teaching is love. I love that. (laughs) Hands on my heart. I know it's so goofy and it might seem, but, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it comes from the heart and it's about connecting hearts and, and, and the subject matter too, you know, that's important, but, but, but it's about the people. Mm-hmm. My students are? My students are, the first thing that popped in was a joy. And that's even, even the ones who can be a little challenging. <laughs> Very memorable though. Yes. Like you said, uh, when you when you see them at a restaurant and they're like, "Oh, oh, I'm so excited to see you! You're getting an extra side of fries because." <laughs> <laughs> like, don't get fired! No, not a <laughs> Want you to keep your job. <laughs> I hope my students remember me as a lifelong learner who cared and cares for them and wants the best for them. The greatest change that needs to happen in education is? (sighs) Teachers need to be invited to the table. 
Um, you know, there have been a lot of people who are concerned with the pandemic and the remote learning that there's this um, learning slide that's happening. And I think that if you put together a team of teachers, we'll, 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 we'll take care of that for you. This is what we do. And um, there are a lot of people who make decisions about education who have not been closely connected to schools in a very, very long time. And so their, their vantage point is um, one that, you know, you can't apply every business model that comes along to teaching students because they'll never be cogs. Mm-hmm. They'll never be a bucket of blueberries. And the last one, my greatest hope for all children is. And while they grow up, knowing that they are enough in every given situation, that whatever happens, they will be able to um, have that toolbox. Like when I'm with my students, I talk about a toolbox for like reading and writing skills. Well, we have our life toolbox too. And my hope is that they feel like they have a life toolbox that no matter what situation they come across, they can pull out the right tools um, to not just survive, but to thrive. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Lisa. Thank you. This was wonderful. And good luck with the rest of this year. And thank you for all the stories that so appropriate and so heartwarming for teacher tales. Thank you so much for letting me share. And um, I hope that, and again, this is that ripple effect. Um, maybe somebody will be inspired. Um, we all have our bad days and that's when we need to, to, to reach out and, and seek each other and connect. Mm-hmm. I agree. You're doing, you're doing important work. Thank you for sharing. It's from my heart to everyone else's. So thank you. Thank you.